Success Movie Rewind. We're looking at movies through a personal development lens, seeing what we can learn. Here's your host, Alex Stevens. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Success Movie Rewind. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. And if you listen to the opening credits, you already know what we do on this podcast. We watch movies through a personal development lens. And the way that we do that is we pick either modern classics, uh, blockbusters, or new movies that we think have potential to become classics. And even more importantly, have uh, personal development discussion points or serve as good vehicles for the kinds of discussions that we want to have on this podcast. So what we do each week is we take three big discussion points, three takeaways from the film. We call these success movie mementos, and we use them uh, to, to jump off and discuss, discuss both the film as a, a matter of cultural criticism, as well as uh, things we can learn in, in general life. And uh, like all great works of art, these works have a lot to teach us. And so we're trying to extract value there as well. You know, some critics think you shouldn't do that. You should just uh, appreciate everything, I guess, through some view from nowhere kind of omniscient void that doesn't have, like, as if you are not a person that desperately needs guidance to get through this postmodern world. Uh, but that's really what art is for, in my opinion. Uh, it's really, we can't help but do that because we're meaning-making creatures and we're, we're voracious and we're constantly consuming and looking for resources that we can use to make ourselves more effective. But at the same time, the fact that everybody's always doing that and we're in such a competitive world and we're in a world that moves so fast, it's as if not only is the future uncertain, the present is almost completely elusive because our minds are always putting us in the future or in the past, depending on our proclivities and the context. But even then, as the movie we're discussing this week shows, past is even up for grabs. Uh, this, the, the film this week, The Da Vinci Code, in 2003, first as a novel, then as this film in 2006, uh, really exploded the Western canon, the, the Western intellectual tradition since the time of Jesus and then Constantine in, in the 300s when Christianity became the, the official religion of the Roman Empire and then, you know, basically colonized the Western world um, very successfully until recently when we entered this postmodern age uh, when, of course, Christianity still exists but it's no longer the assumed de facto kind of stance of uh, the system, so to speak. Uh, everything's up for grabs, and that includes all of these symbols that have been with us since antiquity. It's, it's uh, not only, like I said, is the, the future uncertain, but everything's so in flux that the past becomes uncertain, and you're not sure what it means. And of course, that's a metaphor for ourselves, and that's a, a metaphor for what we need to do in these times of chaos or in our personal times of uncertainty. Where do we go? How do we find new symbols? How do we revitalize the symbols around us so that they become living symbols of what we believe in and what we are living for? The Da Vinci Code has a lot to tell us about that. So, like I said, we picked three success movie mementos 
Uh, I'm not sure I fully explained. Memento is a reference to the Christopher Nolan movie. It's one of his early ones. I know I've said that. But the guy, the protagonist in it, has amnesia. And so he keeps waking up, forgetting things, but then figuring things out and then forgetting them. And so he starts tattooing things on his body. So that's what we're trying to go for. I don't know if we hit it every week, but that's the standard we're trying to go for. We're trying to have these success movie mementos. If you're looking for an inspirational tattoo, you know, that, that's what we're striving for is to, to keep it concise, to keep it loaded with as much meaning as we can. And, um, you know, if you do use a success movie memento as a personal inspiration tattoo, that's cool. Uh, we're not looking for any remuneration or remuneration, but, you know, definitely tag us on your social media for sure. Um, so with that said, uh, I know that's a, well, I guess it depends on how many tattoos you have and how seriously you take it. I was going to say it's a high bar, uh, to set, but some people, you know, they'll tattoo, ironic misspellings on their body you know I, I can't get with that i'm a i'm too too much of a stickler myself but you know maybe i shouldn't be because as this is uh really a, a good intro to our first success movie memento as we talk about the da vinci code which is see beyond the symbols okay you, you've really got to learn to see beyond the symbols uh, like I said earlier, it's kind of easier in this day and age because symbols are not necessarily, or the obvious symbols are not necessarily as imbued with airtight meaning because we're all kind of postmodern relativists in this day and age. But uh, we also have personal symbols, you know, and actually when you think about it, basically everything in your life kind of symbolizes something like the way you take it into your consciousness is both more and less than the thing actually is. The philosopher Immanuel Kant talked about things in themselves versus things in the way that we perceive them. And I think that's a good way of thinking about consciousness because our consciousness really is a reality reduction machine. Film is a great way to think about this because uh, it's an illusion, right? It's, it's a series of still images that are projected at a rate that makes it appear as if it's moving. And our brains really do work this way. There are speeds that we can't perceive. Once something, an insect or something is going beyond the frame rate, so to speak, of the human eye, we can't really tell. And of course, there's all kinds of light on different spectra that we can see that other, other species cannot and vice versa. And that's true even within the human species. And so I think this is useful to think about when we think about symbols as another vehicle not just for reality reduction, but like reality concentration. And, uh, you know, this, this podcast is all about the wisdom of Wikipedia. So I have no shame in saying, you know, your boy was searching the Wikipedia for symbol. And there's some really interesting stuff on there. So uh, I want to talk about that. But before we do, I want to play our first clip uh, from the Da Vinci Code this week, because, you know, uh, Professor Robert Langdon, the, the male protagonist of this movie, played by Tom Hanks, uh, is really, he, he does a great job of kind of just being a, a cool professor, giving a talk about, you know, mind-blowing stuff. 
you know, it's it's kind of fun. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, 20 years later, you're like, yeah, we get it. Or maybe, you know, it's just a uh, success movie rewind is that sophisticated of a podcast. But I think it's, you know, it's a fun clip to hear the movie kind of set up its point or its early point. So let's go ahead and have a listen. Symbols are a language that can help us understand our past. As the saying goes, a picture says a thousand words, but which words? Interpret for me, please, this symbol, first thing that comes to mind, anybody. Hatred, racism. Ku Klux Klan. Yes, yes, interesting. But they would disagree with you in Spain. There they are robes worn by priests. Now, this symbol, anyone? Evil. La fouche du diable. In English, please. Devil's pitchfork. Poor, poor Poseidon. That is his trident, a symbol of power to millions of the ancients. Now, this symbol. Madonna and child. Faith. Christianity. No. No, it's a pagan god Horus and his mother Isis centuries before the birth of Christ. Understanding our past determines actively our ability to understand the present. So, how do we sift truth from belief? How do we write our own histories, personally or culturally, and thereby define ourselves? How do we penetrate years, centuries of historical distortion to find original truth? Tonight, this will be our quest. So we see here uh, Tom Hanks is kind of setting up early in the film. The movie is really using this talk well to set. They're kind of giving their own success movie mementos of their own film uh, for kind of the big themes. So first, you know, you heard people saying evil, racism. Tom Hanks responded, no, these are priests in Spain. So that's an interesting uh, image. You know, it looks like a, a Ku Klux Klan image when Tom Hanks has it up. But then apparently, I mean, I can't attest to the, the, the accuracy of this, but apparently that's an outfit in Spain. And then, you know, going on to contrast the devil's pitchfork with Poseidon's pitchfork and then uh, Madonna and child or, you know, the the Virgin Mary and Jesus versus Horus and Isis. But what's interesting about these kind of contrasting yet parallel symbols is a few things. One is, this is, like I said, kind of the basic setup of the film. The villains of the film are a sect uh, within the Catholic Church called Opus Dei. And I want to be clear here, I don't want to offend anybody who's in Opus Dei because this is a real thing. They have like thousands and thousands of members worldwide. They're a recognized part of the Catholic Church. I mean, I don't know all the inside baseball of how exactly they're like a personal prelature. They, but they were founded in Spain. Uh, they are very controversial. Historically, they've had some issues. They supported the fascist regime in Spain. According to Wikipedia, there's there's varying degrees. You know, historians disagree about the degree to which that is true. But in the movie, basically, there's like a murderous cadre within Opus Dei that is out to extinguish Jesus's bloodline. What's that you say? 
How does Jesus have a bloodline? Is that some sort of metaphor for everybody being the divine children of Jesus or something like that? Maybe. Uh, the film says maybe, but we'll get to that. But no, literally in the plot of this movie, uh, there's been a conspiracy for millennia since the time of Jesus Christ, the historical person, to uh, hide the truth that uh, the woman in the Bible, Mary Magdalene, not the Virgin Mary, was actually Jesus's wife and they had children. And that bloodline is actually the long sought after in a very convoluted way, holy grail that even the, the Knights Templar uh, swore to protect. And it all comes down to Tom Cruise and this woman, Sophie Neveu, who may, may just be part of that bloodline as we, as we proceed through the film. Spoiler alert, of course, she is, but maybe she's not. I mean, again, the film kind of has it both ways. But Opus Dei is basically like, a, you know, a really hardcore fan of Harry Styles. Uh, you know, that when they found out like, oh, Harry Styles has a girlfriend, they start like sending death threats to the girlfriend. It's like, no, like Harry Styles is like this fantasy object that is beyond human concerns, blah, blah, blah. That's how this these group of guys within Opus Dei, I won't say this is what Opus Dei is about, but within the film, uh, you know, so they've got like this crazy monk who is like evil embodied, just kind of like a no country for old men psychopath who's out killing on behalf of his mentor. And uh, you've got Alfred Molina as this uh, decadent, opulent priest who's pulling all the strings from behind the scenes. And so the film really kind of, uh, you know, gets at this within the, these symbols because Jesus and Mary do parallel Horus and Isis in the sense that, you know, like the doctrine that Opus Dei is seeking to suppress, many religious scholars actually say Jesus is a parallel to Horus, kind of the, the son of the divine Isis, which is a Mary figure in ancient Egypt, Egyptian theology. I don't mean that Mary predated Isis, quite the opposite. But of course, these are archetypes that appear over and over and over again in human religion. To me, that illustrates the fullness of the truth that they reveal and makes them more powerful. But if you're committed to your way of understanding things and you, your status within a hierarchy that depends on being better or more exclusive or more pure than other people, then you can really cling to these symbols of your superiority, including, you know, uh, like a, a special leader that only special people can follow or that only special people can understand. And this really is the stuff of cults. And this is why when cults go bad, they're dangerous because there's a dehumanization there and other people become uh, small symbols, like they're less than people. They become symbolic 
uh, you know, for instance, in the movie of the bloodline that must be extinguished rather than an actual living human being. So you really need to learn to see beyond the symbols, both like this, the regular media symbols so that they don't stir you up to do something that's contrary to your values, but also your own personal symbols, uh, especially as you reduce people to archetypes or to people and experiences that you've had earlier in your life, which is all we can do. That's all knowledge is. We will never know what the first thing we knew was because everything just built from there until we for, kind of forgot it. You know what I mean? Like it's like everything is just a, a pile on of our earlier experiences and we're just trying to make sense of those while reality is constantly bombarding us with more and more experiences. And so we get we use these symbols as shorthands without even realizing it. And then we can become devoted to them without realizing it. And we can confuse the symbol for the symbolized. And the theologian Paul Tillich talks about this again. I can't thank Wikipedia enough, uh, but this is a great point. Um, he contrasts living and dead symbols uh, in this way. Living symbols uh, encapsulate like uh, a lot of reality and then they help you see to the infinite thing beyond all of the symbols, the thing like we're all trying to symbolize, the the, the, the reason language always fails us, except, you know, in poetry, when we embrace its failures and the nonsense that results to create a deeper meaning, uh, if we can hit the mind in the right way. Um, that's what an, an infinite living symbol does. And that's really how we have to, we have to, we do symbolize people. We just do. But when you catch yourself doing it to remind yourself to see beyond that symbol, to see that that person is also a vessel of infinity, uh, and not just, uh, you know, a receptacle for your way of thinking and, and a puzzle piece to put in to your way of making perfect sense of the world, to make room for, for you and that person to transcend that personal symbology together is a very important thing. And this movie really does a great job of breaking that down. Let's get right to our second success movie memento from The Da Vinci Code. And this is a topic we've touched on before, but I can't emphasize it enough. I just, it's so important to me. I think it's so useful um, to everybody, especially if you're stuck or if you're feeling like you, you can't quite solve a problem. And it's this. Here's our second movie, uh, success movie memento. Free association will free your mind. And I really mean that. It, it's, it's free association for a reason. And this concept really comes back to the early days of psychoanalysis and Sigmund Freud um, when he encouraged his patients in the classic now kind of cliche therapeutic setting of sitting back on the couch and just free associating and the therapist would be silent and the patient would just have to keep talking and talking and talking. Kind of reminds me of a podcast I know. Uh, but it really is useful. And I actually think the topic dates even further back than that. Um, and there's a, a passage in the Bible. It actually appears, I think, in several passages. And I don't remember any of the citations. Um, but it's basically Jesus telling his followers, you know, when they come to arrest you, don't be afraid to speak because just that's going to be the, the Holy Spirit moving you. And I actually think I think that's really useful in a creative setting, whether or not you're a religious person, let alone a Christian, just, you know, in that moment 
when it's time, you know, I think arrest is such a evocative verb, but it really means to stop you. And when it's time to hit record or when it's time to step up to the mic or give your presentation, get on that Zoom call, whatever, you can't be afraid to speak. And if you're if you did it right, you're you're as prepared as you need to be and just let your higher self emerge. Let it go. And uh, just kind of it's it's like a free associative feeling. It's really like a, a feeling of what they call hypofrontality, which can be a good or bad thing. You know, uh, there's there's many theories that like schizophrenic people have hypofrontality, which is a reduced function in the prefrontal prefrontal cortex. But of course, for many of us, uh, we have hyperfrontality. Uh, hypo, of course, means below. Hyper means like an overactive prefrontal cortex that can act as like a gatekeeping ego that can keep our greatest ideas and our most daring, adventurous ideas and the, the things that we believe so dearly that we, we, we care about so much that it literally is scary and the ego keeps it away because it can overwhelm us. But that stuff is powerful and it's important to access it. And movies are so great. You know, we talked about this with the recent Batman movie and the Riddler, but really with dramatizing what this process looks like. Now, it's never quite as smooth as it is in the movies. You know, you should have seen. And by the way, I did not coin the, the title Success Movie Rewind, but I did have a list of about 200 ideas that were not as good. Uh, but other people thankfully did the same thing and, you know, a great title emerged. I mean, get it? Rewind. You know, I wish I had thought of that. But my point is, it's still a useful exercise to go through. And it was still useful to elucidate, hey, what do I actually want from this podcast? What what does does my deepest self when given the chance? What's jumping out? What does it want to say about movies and success and, uh, you know, culture? I think culture of success was one. I mean, you know, they've got to be bad. You've got to be willing to let them be bad. So, but if you're lucky and you're really special like Tom Hanks uh, or Dr. Robert Langdon, you can really just slam them out. So let's go ahead and listen to our second clip and then we'll come back and uh, talk a little bit more about our second success movie, Memento, which is that free association will free your mind. Hey. So dark, the con of man. No, he doesn't say that. Is it another anagram? Can you break it? <gasps> Professor Harry. Harry. Uh, moon. Sermon. Charms. Demons. Omens. Codes. Monks. Ranks. Rocks. Madonna of the Rocks. Da Vinci. Oh my god. I crack up every... I mean... <laughs> The way he just goes, Da Vinci, uh, it's great. Uh, but that's what this movie is about. And I really can't criticize it because, folks, that's what this podcast is. You know, they really, uh, they've got this, these so many great sequences where they're just looking at various things from art history that Leonardo da Vinci painted, The Last Supper, and basically Sir Robert Langdon's friend, or is he? Uh, this guy, Lee, another professor, played by Ian McKellen, is basically like the first YouTube guy. Like he just has like a little PowerPoint and he's like, yo, check it out. Like he has it like ready for guests, I guess, at all times. And it like breaks down his theory of the Mary Magdalene actually being Jesus's wife, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's such a good illustration 
of how free association can help us, especially in this postmodern age where we're not sure of what to make of anything, where, you know, you can't just uh, look at a symbol and be like, this is what everybody believes and this is what it means and it always means the same thing. Now, the good news is that means it's a living symbol. That means it's still evoking the sense of infinity within you which can be disorienting and overwhelming. But, you know, contrast that with a dead symbol that kind of always means the same thing. And as uh, Paul Tillich goes on to explain, kind of like eventually you start to confuse it with what it's symbolizing. And the murderous sect within Opus Dei in this movie is a great illustration of it as they start killing people because they're like, well, we represent God, God sacrificed Jesus or himself. And so, you know, who are we to shy away from sacrificing human lives if God would sacrifice his own? And of course, the answer is like, if you believe what you're saying, God is God and you are you. The church is a symbol of God, but the church is not God. And that's a great illustration of what happens when you confuse the symbol of, you know, all, whatever you're aspiring to, the best parts of the symbol, when you start serving that symbol, whether it's an organization, whether it's a way of thinking, whether it's a, a project that should have run its course or a relationship that should have run its course, uh, a belief that you are starting to realize in the face of new evidence is not true. Um, and you've got to figure out what to do with that. But there is a temptation there to double down on those dead symbols. And that really is, you know, I think where that, that's like what, in, if you are going to continue through the biblical theme that comes out in this movie, that is, you know, my conception of what a, a sin is, you know, turning away from that higher knowledge so that you can get the appearance of comfort. And the bad news is it doesn't work because your, your mind kind of knows, hey, there's a better way. It may be harder, but we've got to do it. Um, and so you can't really go backwards. And that's why it's such a, a tormentuous. I don't think that's a word. <laughs> See, if I had gone on forward, I would have been like, hey, you shouldn't have let tormentuous lie. You could have corrected it right away. Um, but that's the point. You know, if I had some symbol of like, we don't, we don't make mistakes or something like that. If I viewed myself as a symbol of, I must, uh, illustrate how powerful, uh, my, I am as a podcaster or something like that. That would be a, a turn towards that comforting, uh, false symbol of myself rather than who I can actually be, which is a guy who can admit, Hey, tormentuous isn't a word. So anyway. It is the kind of word that can emerge during a free associative creative session, though. You know, that was kind of Will Ferrell's whole bit uh, in his early days was just making up words like crumlescent or whatever. People ate it up in the 2000s. I wonder if that would still be funny to a young person today. But I got to tell you, if you were there, it's like the Da Vinci Code. You can't really explain it, but such a cultural phenomenon. But that really brings us to our third success movie memento, okay? So we know that free association will free your mind. Uh, but what do you do there then? You know what I mean? So like, say you're in, you're writing something or uh, even more importantly, you're trying to figure out, you're writing like a plan for your life. You're journaling, your bullet journal of the day, or you're doing your quarterly refresh or whatever it is. You just, you need to get some things straight. Uh, and you just you write down what you do, the brain dump, you know, that's a, a big one. I've seen a lot of 
timekeeping and organization systems lately is like first do the brain dump and then you write what are the three most important things and that's what you try to do that day that's what like jack dorsey on twitter is doing i can't remember exactly what it's called but anyway that kind of is uh what i'm talking about so uh our third success movie memento is that the real holy grail is really the quest along the way uh, and by that, I mean, of course, what I always mean, which is don't forget to stop and look into your heart and figure out what you believe. And you kind of got to knight yourself. You got to make yourself a knight of your own holy grail. But to do that, you got to figure out what your holy grail is. There's no longer like an omnipotent Catholic church that is like, yo, we will straight up burn you if you don't believe what we tell you to believe and if you don't say you believe what we tell you to believe there's still a catholic church they're still powerful a lot of people will still listen to them like that but it's like you know this movie has a lot to say about heretics which is a very emotional uh, emotionally felt term but it really just means anybody who stands outside in orthodoxy but it really it it doesn't hit the same if they can't tie you to a stick and burn you uh, for being one you know what i mean um, that's why the Opus Dei, uh, you know, the, the uh, depiction of this group of guys within Opus Dei uh, that's willing to murder people is so scary uh, because they can't do that anymore. That's why it's like, yo, you're not supposed to be doing that in the 21st century. Uh, if this were if you showed this to an audience of people that came up in Spain during the Inquisition and they saw the robes, they wouldn't, you know, have a confusion with the Ku Klux Klan. But then you were like, and they can kill people. They kill people. They're willing to do it. They would be like, yeah, we know they're in charge, you know, kind of the way we feel like the government can put people in jail. You know, maybe there will come a day where there's a different way of doing things. And it'll be like, hey, back in the day, you know, the government could put people in jail. Um, you know, that's that sounds like just the way things are now. That's how powerful the church was back then. Um, and so, you know, the Holy Grail, whatever, you know, the, the cup that they said it was throughout antiquity and historical myth uh, has been a powerful um, archetypal object. But now you kind of got to figure out what your own objects are, both uh, in your day to day life, as well as what you want to strive for and what you want to live for. So uh, that's why, you know. Confession time, the, the, the real X is the Y we made along the way. There's a little bit of a cheeky tongue in cheek, uh, reference to a now pretty standard meme format on online. Uh, you know, the real, the real treasure was the friends we made along the way, kind of something like that. Uh, but really the, the real holy grail really is the quest along the way because uh, you've constantly got to undergo a quest like every day. You've got to like do your time dump or whatever. And then you're, you're figuring out what's your holy grail today. What are the things I really need to accomplish today? Uh, and maybe it's, you know, I've got to make sure my kid gets to school on time because that's the most important value in my life right now is nourishing, you know, the smaller people in my life who need to grow up and learn things. 
Uh, and that may just make you feel, you know, not just, but you're doing the same thing as an Uber driver, but it has more meaning to you. And that's what I mean. That's you, you've got the quest along the way is just really just the, all of life is a series of side quests in the video game. And the big quest is kind of your mindset to figure out what's the big holy grail I'm preparing for. And this movie has a great line, you know, the spoken, of course, from a villain, but there's often wisdom there in films uh, they use that irony and he says the prospect of death is a great motivator and that kind of is like the big holy grail uh, ironically is the thing we're so scared of that we develop an ego to ward us off from even thinking about it but the, the big holy grail uh, as Carl Jung said is kind of preparing yourself for the fact that you are going to die and that therefore you need to figure out uh, and you need to really merge your transpersonal and transcendental sense of values with your ego sense of small self so that you can carry out the side quests in furtherance of the big mission that you've decided is your big holy grail. And so I think that's important in two ways and it, it gets back to our, our discussion of symbols. You know, again, Wikipedia tells me symbol comes from the Greek symbolon, which actually meant like a, a piece, an artifact or an object broken in two that different people from different city-states could use as, uh, you know, as the Romans later uh, further split the phrase in two, signs of recognition and signs of faith. I think actually that's the, the symbolon and the symbolus, I think. Um, and, you know, that, that really kind of, I think, uh, brings us to the, the final point, and the movie does a great job of it, when you're looking at all of these symbols and you feel like in the postmodern age uh, the symbols are broken because you're not sure what to think, that's empowering too because you have the infinite, you know, the capacity to appreciate the infinity of living symbols within yourself and you can make yourself a living symbol of that infinity by looking into your heart and seeing what you value and that can help you realize that the real holy grail isn't hiding. It's all around us if you're living like that and if you can look around you and kind of as Kurt Vonnegut says at good moments be like you know if this isn't nice I don't know what is and in times that don't meet that criteria you can remember that those times have existed in your life and that they can exist in the future for you or for people you care about and that's usually what it comes down to that's that's usually what these values come down to and you find that in your heart and you see what symbols resonate with you and you reassemble those broken symbols of faith and recognition and you put them together in a story that makes sense for you and uh, the movie you know I don't want to get too controversial too theologically specific I don't on Opus Day coming at me, um, but I really liked how it sort of uh, wrapped up the mystery. Of course, there are sequels. This became a trilogy, both of novels and of films, very successful, uh, but it doesn't really purport to hold too many answers. It doesn't do the thing that the, 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 some of the characters in the movie thought exploding the myth of Jesus uh, being a celibate would do. Uh, rather, uh, it deepens it. And so let's take it out on this, uh, this last quote uh, from Tom Hanks. Uh, let's listen to it and um, you know, then we'll take it home. What would you do, Robert? Okay, maybe there is no proof. Maybe the grail is lost forever. But Sophie, the only thing that matters is what you believe. 
History shows us Jesus was an extraordinary man, a human inspiration. That's it. That's all the evidence has ever proved. But when I was a boy, when I was down in that well, Tebing told you about, I thought I was going to die, Sophie. What I did, I, I prayed. I prayed to Jesus to keep me alive so I could see my parents again, so I could go to school again, so I could play with my dog. Sometimes I wonder if I wasn't alone down there. Why does it have to be human or divine? Maybe human is divine. Why couldn't Jesus have been a father and still been capable of all those miracles? Like turning water into wine? Well, who knows? His blood is your blood. Maybe that junkie in the park will never touch a drug again. Maybe you healed my phobia with your hands. And maybe you're a knight on a grill quest. Well, here's the question. A living descendant of Jesus Christ. Would she destroy faith? Or would she renew it? Okay, so I like this clip because, you know, although it, it is very irreverent about certain canonical possibilities, it's also humble and it doesn't purport to hold definitive answers, but rather it's a call for renewal and a call to look into your heart for the eternal truth, and that is where you will figure out what your holy grail is. That's really what our quest is every day. That's the quest along the way, and that's where you will learn to see that infinity lies within all of the symbols around you, if you can open up your eyes, so to speak, to see them. Um, and so when you listen to this clip, when Tom Hanks is not only talking about the possibility that Sophie... A uh, very nice name, of course, within the Gnostic Gospels, Sophia, uh, and many other contexts, stands for wisdom, uh, quite an important source for this film. Um, but also, you know, earlier he had talked about his sense of claustrophobia from being trapped in a well, uh, and Sophie did like an energy kind of healing by putting her hands on him without saying it's supernatural or anything like that, you know, is it? Is, is that evidence that she's divine or is that evidence that there's some sort of divinity within human connection? Or why can't it be both? And the answer I, I really do believe is that it can be, everything can be, if you can learn to see that infinity within uh, the symbols with, that are all around us and within the symbols that lie within your heart. And that's where you'll find your path. And that's how you can knight yourself and go on your quest. So I hope you have a good quest today. I hope this week brings you closer to your big Holy Grail quest. Thanks for stopping by uh, for this aspect of my Holy Grail quest, which is to bring excellent podcasts week after week. Uh, appreciate, appreciate all of you. See you soon. Bye. That's a wrap. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.